0: Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Oh, get buckets, Otto Porter, all, night long. all night, On Twitter, at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore pep. People have their opinion. What that, other falsehoods what are out there?
1: But a lot of the perception things about us.
2: Are players buying in, Jim?
1: I. Yes.
2: Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a, a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with
0: our ability to, to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we, we can make a substantial leap. Kick back. Relax. Lockdown Bulls starts now.
2: My job is to prepare the child
0: for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck.
3: What's up and welcome into Lockdown Bulls, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Maui, at Bulls underscore peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331 979 1369. Drop us all of your texts, your voicemails. You want to talk about the NBA playoffs? You want to talk about the Bulls draft? Less than two weeks away from the NBA draft. Whatever you got for us, hit us up at 331 979 1369 here on Locked on Bulls, and we have a great guest for you guys today. That is Sean Heiken of Bleacher Report. He's here to talk to us about the NBA playoffs. He was at the Damian Lillard shot game in the first round. So we'll talk to him about that, the Bulls, and their pursuit this offseason. And also, we'll look back at the Bulls' season in year two of the rebuild and so much more. So without further ado, here is Sean Hyken.
2: Right now, we're very pleased to welcome back to Locked on Bulls. One of the OG hosts of this very podcast he used to cover the Bulls on the beat for the Athletic Chicago. Currently, you can catch a lot of his NBA coverage for Bleacher Report, among other outlets. He had a great column on the Game 5 experience in Portland. He was there for Dame's miracle shot that sank the thunder. He is our pal, Sean and Follow him on Twitter, at and Sean, welcome back to Lock It On Bulls, buddy. How you doing? What's going on, guys? Happy to have you back. Um, Before we get into some Bulls talk, we talk Bulls five days a week. Let's take a little break from that and talk playoffs. I just mentioned that you were there in the building for Dame's second buzzer beater playoff series clinching miracle shot um, just a few days ago what was it like to be in that moment cuz i as a sports fan i've been in some arenas and some in some stadiums where some miracle things have happened and the you know the, the place erupts but i can't even imagine what it was like to be in that stadium when dame hit that shot
1: oh it was by far the, i think the most incredible uh moment that I've been at, you know, in person covering kind of a game in you know, how many years doing this. It was it was just the atmosphere was just unreal. Because you know, I think just because of his history and because he did it against Houston in twenty fourteen, as soon as he crossed the half court line on that last possession and he was kind of isolated on Paul George at the top of the key, uh with 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 time running out and, and he was basically out a half court. Everybody knew the entire way that he was going to pull up and he was going to he was going to uh, take that shot and that it was probably going to go in just because it was just, it it just felt like it, but he had been, to this point during this game, he had been, you know, he had 47 points up to that point, but he had 34 in the first half. He played the entire first three quarters. He sat like a couple minutes uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but he had basically been carrying them the whole game. And so it just felt like it was only right that he was going to be the one that, uh, hit that shot to flip him over. And then it, you add to it all the tension that had been brewing with Russell Westbrook and with Thunder during that whole series. And it was just only appropriate that he would just kind of get the last lap that way. I agree with you on that.
3: And I'm curious – for you, do you think that this makes Damian Lillard, as far as like the casual NBA fan goes, do you think this makes him more popular now uh, than he ever was before? And maybe some people that didn't realize that he was at star level now have kind of put him on the map, or do you feel like this hasn't really changed his status overall in the NBA?
1: I think it does. And I'll tell you what, I saw a tweet. I forget who it was that put this out. It might've it was like, maybe like Nick DePaul or like one of those like sneaker industry reporters. but. Uh, Apparently, the day after he hits this shot to win this series, Adidas sells 6,000 pairs of his uh, signature sneakers. So it's like, wow. I think, you know, he clearly turned some heads that way. I think Dame had kind of been pretty high profile for a while. Like, he's in a bunch of commercials. He's in, you know, he's, he's on TV. He, 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 he has been kind of ha- in you know for a small market like portland he has been the guy that has kind of had that national profile but yeah you have a shot like this that like this shot is going to be replayed you know it's going to be used in promos for the playoffs for the next few years and so you know, he's going to have that kind of moment that's the that signature moment and I, I mean I, that that uh the houston series was uh it was, it was obviously incredible, but like he was kind of early on in his career at that point. He didn't have the kind of star status that he has now. Uh, and the, the Blazers also never really had a shot at winning that series against San Antonio in the second round. So it's not it's not, it's not like uh, he had the same profile that he has now, where now he's been a multiple-time All-Star. He was first-team All-NBA last year. Uh, I think this definitely raised his profile to a new level, at least to casual fans.
2: Looking ahead to this uh, one of these Western Conference semis now, Sean, the you will continue to cover for the Blazers out there. They dropped game one to the Denver Nuggets last night. Uh, lot, you know, of course, most everybody's focus, the casual NBA fan, is on Rockets Warriors because it's a rematch of a series that a lot of people thought the Rockets kind of coughed up last year. It's the defending champs. It's p- potential MVP Harden and CP3 and all these big names. But Blazers... Uh, Nuggets to me is like just as interesting, if not more so, of a series as that one. Uh, not to mention that, as like a former cannabis enthusiast, Blaze Nugs is like the best series name between two NBA teams you could possibly come up with. But you had a 39 point performance from Dame last night. It wasn't enough. Jokic had another monster game himself. He dropped 37. How do you see the rest of this series playing out? And do you think that your Blazers can take it?
1: I think it's a coin flip and I've felt this way since the beginning. I I don't think Denver really did anything in the last game that made me think, "Oh, well this is just how they're going to shut the Blazers down and, and you know, the Blazers are overmatched or, or or anything like that." I think, you know, a couple of breaks just kind of went Denver's way. Uh and, and and honestly, that 39-point performance that Damian Lillard had was one of the weirdest 39-point performances I've ever seen because I did not if you had told if you, if I hadn't looked at the box score and Seen that he had 39 points, I would not have guessed that that was how many points he had because I kept waiting for him to just kind of take over in the fourth quarter and try to will the Blazers back into it, and he never really did. He never really made his presence felt on the game. And then you look down at the, at the box score, at the stat line, and it's like, oh, he has 39 points on 21 shots. This is an incredible statistical performance for him, but he ne- he, he didn't really impose his will on the game like he he has been for this whole playoffs. So I would expect him to do a little bit more of that in the next game. And then you kind of expect some of their other role players to step up. And then, and then you look at on the Denver side. Yeah. Jokic had an incredible game. Jamal Murray made a bunch of threes. And he's really streaky. He can have hot games. He can have cold games. Uh, I think no matter who wins this series, and I could honestly see it going either way. I, it, it's about as close to a coin flip or, or as as I think it could get in the playoffs, but I think it's going six or seven either way.
3: For the NBA fan and all of us, I hope it goes six or seven games because even that Denver Spurs series in the first round was awesome because it went to a seventh game. Uh, Before we get to Rockets and Warriors, I want to get your thoughts on the Eastern Conference and how that's kind of shaping up. The Celtics knocking off the Bucs 112-90 to and then the 76ers holding on to a close lead at the end. And Toronto had a chance to win that game on a Danny Green 3. I'm curious... Out of those four teams in the East, who do you think is the strongest team? And, uh, and I guess why? And which series, I guess, are you going to be paying attention to more in the Eastern Conference?
1: Well, I think the Bucks celtics one is the most interesting because I think whoever wins that series has a really good chance of coming out of the East. And I, I'm not really – obviously, the, they didn't look good in the, in the first game, but I'm not really ready to write the Bucks off yet. I kind of feel like with them – it was just a case of you know they had played a team that was like a playoff team in name only in Detroit, and they basically just walked through that series and Giannis played like 20 minutes a game, and they basically had a first-round buy, and so they kind of weren't really prepared for playing a team that's actually supposed to be a playoff team in the first round, and they kind of just came out not ready. It, tonight, I think, is going to tell me a whole lot about whether uh, – the Bucks are actually ready for this. If they, if they come back and bounce back and have a good win, I think they're going to be okay, and I would kind of still expect them to win the series because I think they are the more talented team than the Celtics. But if they lose tonight, then yeah, it's kind of it looks kind of rough for, for them, especially you know how good Tyree was and how good Al Horses was uh, for Boston in the in in Game One. Uh, so, you know I would give Boston a good chance of winning uh, the East if they come out of this uh, series. Now on the other side. I still think Toronto is a better team. Philly's depth uh, bothers me. I know they were able to pull the win last night with Embiid uh, being in the condition he was in, but his knee clearly is not right, and it hasn't been right for this whole playoffs. And they don't really have any depth in terms of outside of their starting five, which is very talented and very top-heavy. But uh, I, I, I like Toronto overall better in that series. But uh, I think whoever comes out of the Boston-Milwaukee series would be my guess as to who ultimately ends up winning the East. But, you know, we'll see. I I wouldn't write Toronto off either.
2: We're talking NBA playoffs here on Lockdown Bulls with former host and current Bleacher Report NBA writer Sean Hyken. Follow him on Twitter at Hyken. Sean, now to the marquee matchup of these second round series. It's Rockets Warriors. And for uh, a series that has so much star power in it, Harden and CP3 with the Rockets, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant with the Warriors. Game one was all about the officiating, and there are a lot of different takes flying around Twitter. Some people thought the Rockets got hosed. Uh, Clay Thompson getting into Harden's landing space as a jump shooter on the behind the three-point line. Personally, I thought the final no-call with Draymond Harden in that particular shot was a good no-call. I thought Harden was sifting and, and, and looking for a lot of those kinds of opportunities to get foul calls instead of just trying to knock down the shots. Uh, b- but maybe there are some people who are, are valid in their grievances with the way that game was officiated. And now on top of all of that, we learned this morning that Scott Foster, who CP3 and Harden have both called out by name as a, a, an official who has a problem with them, they have a problem with him. Is officiating tonight's game two. What do you make of the fact that after game one, this series that should be about all this star-studded talent on these two teams has become about NBA officials?
1: Oh, I love it! Don't you guys just love it? This is exactly why we got into this. We we all love just talking about officials all the time. This is just, this is this is why we do this, man. Don't you guys love it?
3: Oh, it's unbelievable! I was yeah. telling Matt that legitimately these playoffs and maybe even like the back end of the season too, I felt like now it's turned into every single player on almost every single play. Someone somewhere is complaining about something. And to me, at least in the short term, it's getting a little bit irritating and I can understand why the players feel that way. But still, I mean, every single play, someone's complaining about something and at some point, the bubble's got to burst here either fans are going to get super pissed off or the nba is going to crack down so i don't know really where to sit but it's been it's been eye opening at least
1: yeah and honestly this whole whether or not the rockets have a legitimate gripe about the way this has been officiated the the, the way that the way that they've been handling this with you know daryl morrie you know puts together this whole report about last year's uh western conference finals and the warriors supposedly getting all of these calls uh in that series and leaks it to various reporters during this current playoff series basically trying to re-litigate a playoff series that happened a year ago as a way to kind of you know get the moral high ground for this current series like it's just Nobody's nobody wants this. Like, like, whether he's right or not about the Warriors getting shafted by the officials, like, like nobody wants to be talking about whether you know these technicalities about about well, oh, oh, are they calling it by the letter? Of, like, like that, that's not interesting for like it, it's not interesting for you and I as as analysts and, and and as people who you know cover the league. It's not interesting for fans. I'm sure fans would rather be talking about Chris Paul and James Harden versus KD and Steph Curry in the on-court matchup. The, the players, I'm sure, would rather be talking about uh, the actual matchups. The coaches would rather be talking about the actual matchups. Nobody really wins by the officiating being the focus, whether the Rockets actually have a legitimate gripe with, with how it's being handled or not. It's just, it's just such a bummer because this was the series. Last year, the, the Western Conference Finals was so awesome and it was so exciting and it came down to the wire It went to seven games. The Rockets almost won despite not having Chris Paul in that final game and then they just missed 27 threes in a row. Everybody was looking forward to this matchup and it's like, oh, this is going to be great. This is basically the de facto finals almost because these, you know, you can make an argument that these are the two best teams in the league this year, but then it just the whole thing becomes about the officials and everybody debating whether he actually got into somebody's landing space. And it's just, no, nobody wants this. This isn't interesting for anybody.
3: I agree with you on that. And, and, and looking at the Warriors and the Rockets series too, specifically, do you feel like, Do you feel like the Warriors are still the team to beat in this playoff with only eight teams left? And if the Rockets do somehow pull an upset off, um, which one of those East, I mean, I guess, which one of those Western Conference teams do you think most likely could get past the Rockets? And do you feel like if the Warriors are knocked out, it, it puts an advantage to any other team, maybe in the playoffs in general, East or West?
1: Well, it certainly doesn't feel this year like the Warriors are this unbeatable drug around. I still do think they are the best team in the league. And they were the team that I would beat, That say on paper, is a team to beat just because they have the most talent out of anybody. And Kevin Durant has been, even for him, and you know this is one of the best players of his generation, and he's a former MVP and all this stuff, even by his standards, Kevin Durant so far in the playoffs has just been on another level. So... I would still say, I would, still, I would not pick a team over the Warriors in the series, at least in the West, but the, both the Blazers and the Nuggets, and certainly whether it's the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, whoever, have to be looking at the Warriors so far. They got taken to six games by the Clippers, which is a team that basically had no business even being in the playoffs in the first place just based on the on-paper talent. And, you know, they've just kind of been messing around. They, they, and they still, even with the weird officiating stuff, they had a chance to lose that Houston game on, uh, on Sunday. And so I'm not really looking at the Warriors as, oh, this is just this unbeatable team that is just inevitable. They're going to roll to the title. And it, I, I feel like they're beatable. I wouldn't pick anybody to beat them. But if you, told me that, if you told me that Portland or Denver beat them in the Western Conference Finals, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be, like, falling out of my chair.
2: Well, uh, John, let's transition now and talk about our beloved Bulls who, you know, I joke to you as we just uh playing
1: <laughs> some real basketball. I can't wait. Yeah,
2: right? Um you know, that's, that's that's what Bulls fans have been uh you know, have been essentially like blessed to uh, to enjoy the entertainment of NBA playoff basketball and forget and put out of our minds what we were watching all the way through the first two weeks of April. Um, It's been a nice reprieve, a nice way to take a break from how God awful of a season we endured 22 wins a coaching change, a near-player mutiny, lots of really ugly basketball, lots of injuries. And now, you know, as I said to you, it's like kind of Bulls fans are just enjoying these playoff series and waiting for Mar- May 14th to roll around. It's actually two weeks from today, that NBA draft lottery, that could change the course of the Bulls' future could change the course of any team's future in that lottery. And it's all about Zion Williamson. You recently joined our pal Mark Shanowski on an episode of his bulls talk podcast for NBC sports Chicago. And you guys were talking about, you had talked to a, a friend of yours who is someone who's dra- NBA draft analysis and scouting. You really trust um, and, and, and place value in and that that person said that the drop-off is so severe in this 2019 class that Zion would have been the number one pick last year with all of the talent that existed, Aiden, Doncic, Trey Young, Bagley, all those guys, but that anybody from that class, 2018, behind Zion this year would easily be the number two pick. Would you agree with that assessment that you shared with uh, that draft person you were talking about on that Bulls Talk podcast?
1: Uh, Just to be clear, everybody from last year's lottery, not the whole draft class, but yeah, uh, it's it's a pretty with, with, with last year's draft. It's there was just a lot more at the top in terms of, uh, of you know, of you know, obviously there, there are at least a few guys in that. You know, you look at how, how good of a year DeAndre Ayton had in Phoenix, and then obviously Luca and Trey. There are a number, and then even Wendell Carter with the Bulls is the number seven pick. He, I think Wendell Carter. I would probably take number two over. Any over anybody in this draft class, I mean, John Morant is a guy that a lot of people like, and I think he's going to be a good player, but are you looking at John Morant and saying, this is our franchise changers. This guy is going to keep us in the playoffs for the next 15 years. I think it's really only Zion Williamson that teams are looking at and saying, this is going to be the next, you know, foundational generational piece for the next decade for us.
3: So when you hear an evaluation like that and say for a second, in hypothetical theory that you're, uh, the Bulls GM and you end up with a pick three or four. And are you seriously considering maybe moving down, trying to move down or maybe even out of that pick uh, because the draft class this year, the, the drop off is so severe and thinking about where the Bulls are at right now, you want to add a franchise changing player or at least have the a better opportunity to, to do that. Maybe it's not this year, but a year or two down the road. If you're a Bulls team or maybe anybody else at the, at the top of the lottery and you don't get the, pick, the first or the second pick, uh, do you feel like there's going to be a lot of teams looking to move down or looking to maybe add other draft picks beyond this year? Maybe even more specifically, look like what the Bulls should be realistically looking at um, if they land outside of the first or the second pick.
0: Well, it
1: depends on what they can get. Uh, I, they, they shouldn't trade out of this pick just to trade out of this pick. It's not like there are no other good players in the draft outside of one and two. Because if you look at a guy like, uh, you know, Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech or R.J. Barrett or Kobe's white, there, there are guys in this draft uh, that you can say, oh, this is going to be a good player. This is going to be a rotation player. We're only talking about like the very top, you know, superstar level. And so I don't think the Bulls are really in a position where, they can sneeze at having guys who are going to be solid rotation players, whether it's a you know a superstar type of type of uh, talent that they're going to add or not, they still need depth. They basically you look at what their bench was this year. There was a whole lot of Ryan Archidiacono and Shaq Harrison and Wayne Salton. and you know those guys are nice. they got guys you're going to look at and say, oh, we want to build our bench around these guys. So even if whoever the ball end up getting uh, ends up just kind of being a guy off the bench that they end up. Uh, and ends up contributing, that's still something they need. thats I mean, that's not going to get the fans as excited as a Zion or like a but it is something that would fill a need, and then you know you can they say, okay, maybe they go out and add their point guard in free agency or trade for somebody or, or whatever, but it depends on what they can get. I don't know what the market is really going to be for one of the you know four, five, six picks uh, in this draft. I don't even know if they'd be able to get enough for it to make it really worth their while to trade out.
2: Sticking with this uh, hypothetical of the Bulls landing outside the top two and then kind of grasping at straws to figure out where to go, drafting for need versus drafting best available, uh, and and Bulls usually, uh, based on their their track record with this front office, go best available. Um, I, just like there's a whole lot of people, you know, listeners to this show who are texting in to Jordan and I, people that talk to us on Twitter asking us, you know, what do you think about Kobe White? What do you think about Darius Garland? I feel like a lot of Bulls fans have recently just had this huge momentum wave for Darius Garland. Personally, I'm really scared of the fact that we only saw that kid play like five games. Um, the, The injury really, you know, is an asterisk for me. But do you think it would be, given the Bulls point guard situation, not ridiculous decision to reach on a guy like UNC's Kobe White or Darius Garland because like to me neither of those guys are worth taking at 3 4 or 5 but at the same time I'm not in love with RJ Barrett or Jared Culver or Deandre Hunter or any of the other you know guys it's sort of like whether it's need or best available I just I feel like the Bulls are boned if they're outside the top 2 they don't feel like they're in a position where they can
1: avoid taking the best player available you can't really draft for need when you're when your roster is as thin as the bulls is. You just need to get get as much talent as possible and then you figure out the fit part later If you have to trade somebody, you have to trade somebody and then you you know you deal with that when you have to deal with that I don't i mean, I, I like you I haven't seen enough of Darius Garland to really have a strong opinion about him one way or the other as a player, but if they've if they scout him, they feel like he's their best guy, whoever they feel like is the best guy available or then they should, that's who they should take. I, I, I'm not really going to be here saying, oh, well, they need to take a point guard no matter what. If they feel that Jarrett Culver or, or somebody else or R.J. Barrett is the best player there, then that's who they should take at this point where in terms of what their position is.
3: Yeah, I'm hoping that they don't do that where they reach on a point guard just specifically because they feel like they need to round out their their starting five, at least a young starting five. Like if they really love Darius Garland or they really love Kobe White over everybody else and that's been their guy for weeks, then then I'm OK with that. If they feel like that, that's their best guy available. But I don't want them to take the point a point guard, especially at three or four and feel like that they're taking a reach on him or feeling like that they need to fill that point guard position this offseason or in this draft specifically. Um, So, yeah, I think it's going to be strange. And like you were saying, that with the thin-down roster that this Bulls team has, not a lot of depth. Uh, you got guys coming back, Chandler Hutchison, Denzel Valentine, Wendell Carter Jr., but even still beyond that, you still don't have a lot of depth, so I don't think that you can steer away in draft four positions Uh, need as far as taking it over best player available staying with this Bulls team though looking at Lowry Markin and Zach Levine Otto Porter Jr. and the rest of the Bulls collectively what did you think about individual progression who are you most impressed with uh, on this Bulls team and how do you think that's going to translate into next year whether it is one of those three guys
1: Uh, I said Zach made huge strides this year in terms of his consistency in terms of his efficiency I yeah, you know, I think I think you know, at the beginning of the season, I, I, I can't remember if you guys were on the same boat, but I thought it was maybe a mistake to match that offer sheet that Sacramento gave him. And then once the season started, it was like, okay, no, he actually is worth that money, and that actually was the right move for the Bulls to keep him around. I was impressed with him. Markin also, he had that incredible month of February. And I think that is his ceiling in terms of you know he could be a perennial All Star type of player, but it was still like we only saw what like 15, 20 games of him playing at that level before he you know the health stuff came back. And, uh, I, I don't think we have enough to go off of to say oh this guy is definitely going to be a star, but we've certainly seen what the ceiling looks like, and the ceiling is pretty damn good at least in my mind.
2: Yeah, and I think when you t- talk, go ahead, go ahead, Jordan.
3: I was just going to say, you know, following up. I'll speak for myself, but I feel like Matt was sort of in the same boat too as last year uh, when they made that signing for Zach Levine. I was on board for it. I I thought the match was great, and I thought the money was good, too, and the potential there. And I just felt like back at last summer, the Bulls couldn't afford to let one of their main pieces in that trade walk away, and a guy that, looking at the three pieces that they got from that, probably with the most potential for all-star appearances, most potential for uh, the highest ceiling, like Lowry Mark and everybody wants to believe in right now, but – we saw what Zach Levine could do, and to let to to have the chance that he walks away and becomes that better player, I don't think the Bulls were in that position. And thank God that he proved, at least he proved my take a little bit right this year, um, but we'll see how he builds into next year. But I feel like a lot of people were on board with saying, you know what, just let him go to Sacramento, let him walk. I don't know if $20, $20 million is going to be worth it for the next four years and where the Bulls are going to be at, so... Uh, I feel like it was really split on Zach Levine last summer, and now compared to this year, I think a lot of people are on board with uh, his skill set and what he can do for this bulls team.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are, and I think the other thing that really changed how I feel about this bulls group going forward is the on Porter trade, and that was another one where money kind of entered into i know I think you guys are both on board with it, but I saw a whole lot of chatter from fans just talking about, oh, he's making twenty seven million a year. It's like at a certain point, you need to get good players who are going to help you win. You saw how good of a fit Otto is with the rest of the guys in that kind of young core. He can can hit an open three, but he doesn't need plays called for him all the time. He's a good defender. He can just kind of plug every single hole that they have. And that was just such a natural fit to me that I thought that was a great move. And you saw before he kind of ended the season with a back injury and didn't, didn't play down the stretch. You just saw how natural of a fit it was and how he just kind of blended in from day one and just meshed perfectly, and he's on the same age trajectory as a lot of their young guys. Uh, I thought that was a great addition for them as well.
2: Sean, before we get to... Some potential free agent talk, which you know we we know that the Bulls' plan is to kind of break up the twenty million or so that they have available and use it on a couple of veteran uh, free agent signings, mid tier guys, third tier guys. Uh, you know they don't really have the cachet or the cash to go after any big swings in free agency this summer. But before we get there, I'm curious. You know, you know, we're talking about how we feel pretty good, assuming healthy, about four of the five Bulls starters: Levine, Otto. Uh, Markinen and Wendell and then hopefully finding some kind of solution, a point guard. But, the, you know, part of the reason the Bulls were so goddamn hard to watch this season was because that second unit and because the second unit, uh, because of so many injuries, became the starting unit. And then they were just trotting out essentially an entire G League roster by the back end of March and into April. Did any of those guys impress you in a way that you could say, I could see them fitting in and actually serving a positive role on this Bulls team moving forward, or they proved that they deserve to be on an NBA roster somewhere. And when I say that, I mean the short samples we got from their second uh, pick from last year, Chandler Hutchison, guys that they picked up off scrap heaps like Shaq Harrison, two-way guys, you know, Ryan Archidiacono, they uh, Wayne Seldon Jr. in that trade for Justin Holiday. He looked like he could be a decent player. Any of those guys, if you could pick one of those like scrap heap guys that we saw in a Bulls uniform this year to stick around for this rebuild, who would it be?
1: I thought Wayne Seldon kind of showed some things in the, in the little bit of time that he was able to have after he came over in that Justin Holiday trade. I, you know, he, He's a guy I think he can be a scorer off the bench. I kind of like him. Hutchison, I think, showed some potential, especially on the defensive end. Uh, either of those two, the two point guards, uh, Archie Ocno and Harrison, I think those guys are all more in the the category of like, I think they have proven that they should be NBA players, but I just don't know if that's going to be with the bulls long term. with how many other needs they have. I don't know if, you know, those guys are going to get too expensive to keep or if those guys are going to get offers where they can get more playing time somewhere else, but they have pieces where you can say that's at least an NBA player, but there's certainly Shaq Harrison and Ryan Archie were sixth and seventh man, guys and you want those guys to be the 10th or 11th man on a good team.
3: Thinking about free agency this summer, I'm curious, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of Bulls fans maybe feel like the Bulls aren't going to do a whole lot. And maybe the expectations are a little bit too high, even though they got $20 million, give or take, to play with this summer. Do you feel like there's going to be any moves that the Bulls make or any other team that's going to really shock or surprise us? And I guess to follow up on that, if the Bulls don't do anything, major this summer besides maybe feeling a small need at point guard and maybe finding somebody to back up Lowry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., Who's going to be the next star available? And maybe it doesn't even have to be this summer. Uh, maybe outside of Anthony Davis and the rumors about him, because we all know about that. But who's going to? who do you feel like is going to be the next star up to either want out or teams are just going to say, you know what, we got to hit the eject button. We got to start something new. And you think the Bulls could be in a position where they say, you know what, we need to add star talent here. So maybe we talk to that team. Is there anybody out there that you feel like in the next year is going to be in that position outside of Anthony Davis?
1: I'm not really sure because if you look at – because he was the 2012 draft. And so then you look at who are the, you know, the upcoming guys from the other draft classes are, are that are going to be available. The two big names that really come to mind, or, or at least whose contracts are coming up, one of them is Damian Lillard. And I, I, I've gotten, at least locally, all indications are that on July 1st the Blazers are going to offer him that Supermax and he's going to sign it. And so he's not going to be available anytime soon. And then I would expect – I don't think Giannis is going to be uh, eligible for the Supermax until the summer of 2020. But I, you know, if the Bucks keep progressing the way they are, I would expect he's going to sign that too. We're kind of hitting almost a dry spell in terms of the last few years. It's just been constant with uh, you know Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, like all these guys who have either wanted out or been available or a trade or, be, or are going to become free agents. And these guys become available. We're kind of entering this dry zone where there aren't really a lot of guys coming up where you can say that's going to be the next guy who's going to demand a trade or who's going to be a free agent. It's going to be pretty thin the next couple of years. I feel like outside of Anthony Davis and who knows what's going on with him at this
2: point. I feel like we've talked a lot about the bulls free agent situation when it comes to point guard and that they plan on targeting some kind of veteran point guard, in addition to maybe drafting one, especially if they land that number two pick and John Morant, but you know, I feel like we don't need to beat a dead horse. We know who the veteran free agents uh, are at the point guard position who are out there. I know a lot of Bulls fans would love Pat Beverly. Um, I think Jordan and I are in the camp of saying, yeah, that wouldn't, that that wouldn't be too shabby, but it's unlikely to happen given either he's staying with the Clippers or some team other than the Bulls can give him a truckload of money um, and, and a more like a more likely path towards being a, a playoff player once again next season. Outside of that though, knowing that the Bulls might have priced themselves out of Robin Lopez staying thanks to Jim Boylan and his tactics in the back half of the season, and Rolo might be on his way out of town. Sean, any uh any veteran big men that you think might be able to come in and serve sort of a mentor slash backup role to Wendell Carter Jr. this offseason?
1: Well, I mean, Bulls fans are gonna love this answer that I'm about to give them. I've been on the train for a long time, I think. They- in terms
2: of, like, he's,
1: first of all, he's probably not going to cost that much money because he's kind of, I, I, he's, what, 33, 34? 34, 34, like, he's kind of at the tail end of his career. I feel like he's already, you know, he's made his money. He's, he's not going to be super expensive, but he's also about as close to a 100% approval rating among play, fans, players, teammates, coaches that there is in the league. And he's, for his entire career, when he was with the Bulls, he came off the bench happily. He never complained about his role. He knows what he is. He'll be totally happy to... You know, be that veteran presence, and even you know during some of those chaotic years that I covered, you know, the three alphas year or the last, uh, the last kids year or the first Holyburn year, where the locker room was so toxic, he was always just that calming influence that everybody kind of got along with. And the other thing is, he can still play a little bit. He's not the player he was five years ago, but he still has a little bit left in the tank. So to me. And it's probably not going to cost that much money, and it would just be kind of an easy both crowd-pleasing move and a move that actually makes basketball sense and makes cultural sense to bring back Taj Gibson. So that's the direction that I would try to go if he was open to it, and I would get the sense that he probably is open to it.
2: I, I love that idea, Sean. Um, as far as all of the various homecoming kind of storylines that Bulls fans have been harping on over the last several years, Taj, to me, is one that does actually make sense on a veteran minimum scale kind of deal, Uh, providing that leadership in the locker room, especially in this scenario. As we said, Robin Lopez uh, moves on to somewhere else and they need not just Otto, but a guy who can really be uh, an even older, more mature voice. And as you said, a calming presence among the media in the locker room and. Because we're talking homecomings, we got to get this out of the way. Um, I I know how you feel about it. I listened to your take on your recent uh, guest spot on Schinowski's pod. But just for the record, for all of our Locked On Bulls listeners, Derek Rose, good idea, bad idea, the floor is yours. That's not the direction that I would go if I were
1: the Bulls, just on a number of levels. I don't think the basketball fit makes a lot of sense for – you know what what his skill set is and what they need out of the point guard position i uh i think that it, it would bring back a whole lot of extra unneeded kind of drama about even if he says oh i'm going to play a bench role i'm going to be happy with you're coming off the bench and i'm going to be happy with just kind of being in this mentor role it's going to come up at some point you know fans are going to want him to start uh he's going to get injured at some point and then people are going to say oh, oh well derrick just still can't stay healthy and I just, I just, it's just not something I would do at this point. It's kind of, I think it just does everybody a disservice because you're, you're these, you you have these young guys that you're trying to build around. You're trying to build this new thing and you're, you're still figuring out what their identity is. You got to put them in a position to succeed. And so just introducing the whole Derek Rose, everything that comes with him, the spectacle, all of that, into that environment. It's just, I don't think it would be good for anybody. And, and, and besides that, I just feel like the Bulls need to move forward. I mean, I just—I realize I just said they should bring back Taj Gibson, but that's that—that's different. That's you know he, hes never that's been a totally guy that's drawn point. any. It's never he's—he's he's always been a bench player. He's never been the kind of guy that draws any attention to himself, and he's going to come in and have you know zero drama from day one. I just you got You got to live in the past now. If, if if in in four or five years, he when Derrick Rose is at the very very end of his career, if he's going to retire and they want to do what they did where they brought back Scottie Pippen in 2004 and just have it be a total straight up retirement tour, just something for the fans and maybe the, and maybe the the rebuild is in a little bit of a more stable place at that point. Okay, fine. You can talk me into that being something that makes sense. But at this point, I just, it's just not something I would do.
2: Voice of reason. All you Rose stands out there. Voice of reason. Thank you, Sean. The
3: one thing that I keep going back to on that and it just it's not even about Derek Rose, but the whole like retreading guys that we've had that have had have had good experiences and have played really well for this Bulls team. I'm on board with the Taj Gibson thing, too, and I hope I just worried about the money, uh, the money with him and how much you're going to spend there and how that's going to offset your point guard position. But still, we don't know where the Bulls are going to draft. So that can that's going to play a huge factor this summer. But I just felt like Overall, you're right, and maybe it's not even about the Bulls, but it's it's the fan base in general maybe needs to just move forward from uh, the guys of that, Rose, Noah, Gibson, that whole team, the Thibbs team. Um, but I would certainly be on board with Taj Gibson too. I'm curious though – What do you think about Jim Boylan and the front office and the work that they've done with this rebuild now two years in? I know the injuries and the health have been a big part of year two. And, I mean, you can even go back to year one. Um, What did you think about the whole Fred Hoiberg firing, the Boylan hiring, and then now this rumor of a potential extension for Boylan? What do you think of him as a coach and taking this Bulls team to the next level, at least what the front office is hoping that they're going to do? What's your take on Jim Boylan?
1: Well, I thought that it was a little bit unfair of them to fire Fred when they did when they Agreed. when he when he only had one game with Lowry in, and they kind of started the year off with all these injuries, but on the other hand, there's only so much you can say that a five and a coach that started the year off five and nineteen deserved to keep his jobs so like I thought it was a raw deal, but also you know it, when they fired him, I was just like okay i mean that's just that's kind of when somebody starts off five and nineteen you have to kind of think that that's a possibility and then I'm still – I don't know if I think that Boylan is the long-term coach. I think it's a good thing that they're talking about extending him if they're going to keep him because if they've made the decision that they're going to keep him, whether the three of us agree whether that, that, that that's what the direction they should go in or not is – they need to if – if he's their guy, they need to commit to him because it really does nobody any good for them to just be saying, hey, you know, this is a guy for our uh, rebuild. You, know, you you young guys, you're going to have to listen to him and buy into his vision. And oh, by the way, he's done a lame duck contract making $1. <laughs> $1. $1.6 million. Like like, that, like, none of, like that, that I don't think would do anybody any good. So I think the fact that they are talking about making a long-term commitment to him and actually giving him a little bit more authority – whether we think that that's the right thing to do or not. And I personally would maybe go in the direction of, I'm not a completely opposed to keeping him around, but you know, coaches are going to get fired. Coaches have already gotten fired. This you, you you need to at least see what, especially considering that the last time they, they had a coaching opening, they basically didn't do a coaching search. They they hired Fred Hoiberg basically within 36 hours of firing Tom Thibodeau. You got to actually look around and see what's out there. And if you guys, if you look around and do this whole process and, decide okay you know we don't like anybody on the market more than Jim Boylan so we're going to roll with him okay fine at least you went through the process but to just already take yourself out of it and 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 not even you know look around and see what's out there I think you're doing this whole rebuild a disservice but you know if they want to give Jim Boylan another couple of years and they want to commit to him fine okay I mean he it's it's not like I mean obviously that first month was a disaster but you know they showed a few things after that you you could talk me into it I don't know if he's the long-term long-term guy but if if it's another one or two years as kind of a bridge until they get their next long term guy, it's, I, I think it's fine.
2: Sean, did you have any uh, any particular favorite Boylanism? Uh, over the course of the season, I know you weren't following the Bulls uh, on a regular basis, kind of bouncing around on your NBA coverage this past season. But I know you always keep one eye on, uh, you know, this team here in Chicago. You know, there was a growing, uh, like a trending hashtag among Bulls Twitter that hashtag Jim Boylan says stuff. I'm wondering if you had a particular favorite from all of the crazy sound bites he gave us this season. I'm a big, fan,
1: I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of Jackson Juice. I'm a big fan of Chandler Hutchins. Soul is awesome. <laughs> There was this one I don't have it in front of me, but uh our buddy Jason Pat, who I think has been on your podcast before, but uh he 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 brought one to my attention that kind of uh the that, that, that kind of you know slipped through the cracks in terms of the public consciousness, but there was this wild quote from him from Boylan about Lowry Markkinen. like it was like some straight out of Dragon Ball Z, like talking about like Lowry Markkinen's aura and you know, his and it was it was it was just like it was like a combination of that and like the, like some grateful dead. So I think it was just—it was incredible. I just, <laughs> like that, like that, like that's the thing. As a media member, I think it's tremendous that Boylan is sticking around because the content is just unrivaled. That's so true.
2: It's it so does. True. It does at least provide us with some entertainment during a during a god awful season. Um, all right, uh, last one before uh, before we get you out of here. I know that uh, when you and Cody were hosting the show a couple of years back, and the and the Bulls point guard situation was. Just as ugly as it is now, with this carousel of no-name guys who can't play, you 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 certainly had a couple of jokes at the expense of one Cameron Payne. Do you think that campaign is on an NBA roster next season?
1: Uh, was he on an NBA roster after he got cut by the Bulls? He oh, he signed a couple of ten he, days with the, with, he, with the Cavs. He got a, he got a
2: ten day with the Cavs.
1: Yeah. I mean, he might be a guy in a couple. Like he might, I'll bet what ends up happening with him is he signs up the G League team. And then in a couple of years, some NBA team signs him and you hear all these stories about, oh, he's gotten so much better in the G League and he's really coming into his own. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. I can't – I mean, he he's the kind of guy at this point in his career. And I feel, I feel bad for him because he's a nice kid and I – Obviously, all there were all of these – he got so much backlash because he wasn't very good and because they traded one of the most popular bulls of this generation in that weird trade for him. But, you know, at, it's, at this point, I think he's the kind of guy who maybe is going to get a training camp invite and be kind of a fringe roster cut that probably ends up in the G League. That's probably where he is as a player at this point.
3: Yeah, I feel like the same thing too. And maybe somebody will only take a chance on him just because he was in the lottery still, and he had a couple of injuries. But uh, yeah, it's kind of weird that the uh, that as us as Bulls fans, we put a target on one guy who ends up playing really bad or is on a bad contract. And you know, as soon as Cameron Payne was cut, uh, Cristiano Felicio all of a sudden the the target had focused and shifted in on him and. Uh, obviously on a sizable contract compared to Cameron Payne's. But it seems like we do this very often with this Bulls team. And I don't know if that just comes from the fact that maybe uh, as a Bulls fan base, we're a little bit, we tend to be a little bit more negative than we are positive. But uh, unfortunately for Cristiano Felicio, the target has shifted from Cameron Payne to him now.
1: Yeah, and I I kind of feel bad for Chris because look, obviously that contract that he got is not... uh
2: do not feel bad for that dude making 32 well, million dollars well, well,
1: well but well but also like like it's not it's not like he got this contract and then decided to stop trying or stop playing bad. he just isn't very good like right i mean w- w- would you would you have not signed that contract if so, would you have said oh you know i don't know if i'm worth this contract i don't know if i'm worth this 32 million that somebody's offering me you like i'm not going to kill the guy for signing the contract and i think that's what a lot of like like whenever these people, talk, you know, these a lot of these fans talk about, oh, this guy is stealing money. Like, would you turn that money down if it was offered to
2: you? I wouldn't. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. As as they say. We got guard on that one. And, uh, you know, simultaneously, it's a shame that uh, your boy Yusuf Nurkic went down. He was really fun to watch with the Blazers this year. And we could be watching a uh, Doug McDermott uh, trade sweepstakes uh, showdown between Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic in the second (laughs) round of the Western Conference right now. Oh, man. The fun we have as Bulls fans. All right, Sean. Well, uh, we'll let you get out of here. We appreciate you stopping by. He is one of the OG hosts of this very podcast, Locked On Polls, catches NBA coverage for Bleacher Report throughout these NBA playoffs and follow him on Twitter at Hyken. Sean, thanks as always for stopping by the pod, man. Good talking, guys. Well,
3: that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Thanks again to Sean Hyken for jumping on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Hyken. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked on Bulls. We're on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Subscribe to the show. Make sure you are subscribed. Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get our episodes as soon as they drop. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out.
0: Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. We'll